Hello, welcome to Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Ines Gonzalez del Mazo, and today we're joined by Eric Grossenthal, Vice President and Managing Director of Rapid. Rapid is the world's largest global payment network, accepting and disbursing more than 900 payment types in over 100 countries. It connects 2 million global ATMs and over-the-counter cash access points across the globe. Eric, right now, manages Rapid America's unit, but has experience also in Asia and Europe. Before Rapid, Eric worked in startups and Fortune 500 enterprises, including Abra, American Express, First Data, Citigroup, and McKinsey. Welcome, Eric. So to start the conversation, would you tell us about your interesting background and where you're from, where have you worked, where have you lived? Sure. First of all, thank you very much for having me today. So my name is Eric Rosenthal. I'm currently the Managing Director of Rapid. A bit about me on a personal level is I'm originally from the East Coast, New Jersey specifically. However, professionally, I've had two distinct chapters in my life that were then coupled with a variety of different international experiences. So I spent about half of my career uh, working in public services, working for the U.S. government, the Spanish government, and as well international development needs, agencies. And then since about 2010, I've been working in the financial services sector, originally in the incumbent sector, having worked with First Data, McKinsey, and Citi. And for the better part of the past few years, working in the fintech sector, with two companies. Personally, as I said, I'm originally from New Jersey. I've lived in Spain. I've lived in Peru. I've lived in Mexico. I've lived in China. I've lived in Singapore. And I came back to California about five years ago after having spent about 14 years overseas in all those countries that I just mentioned. Sure. So how did you get interested in this fintech space? I think to a certain degree, kind of by accident in some regards, as many things end up playing out for people. In my particular case, I had spent a number of years working in the public sector. I had a very keen interest in issues of financial inclusion. I had a very keen interest in issues of economic development. I spent some time working for the International Development Bank and concluded very quickly from a a personal perspective that I did not want to build my career in the public sector any further. And I was recruited by Citibank. I was recruited by Citibank, sent to China with Citibank, where I was part of the strategy group working inside the retail bank. Of course, at that point, having kind of a very distant and arm's length exposure to issues of technology as it related to financial services. But I had actually spent a lot of time around other business units inside of the bank and actually got picked up by City Ventures, which was the corporate venture unit or is the corporate venture unit of Citibank. I spent a number of years working there, and that kind of led to my entry into that call it space of conversion between traditional financial institutions and technology companies. I understand. Then why did you choose to move to Rapid, which is a smaller startup? So I came to Rapid via another smaller startup. So this is the second time that I've joined a company that was venture-backed at a Series A stage. I joined the last company, I think, as employee number 12, and I joined Rapid as employee number 14. And why I decided to do that really is for a few three reasons. So one is uh, I like having influence over the outcome, and I felt that by getting in early, I had 
greater potential on a personal level to have influence as a, on that, the ultimate outcome for the company. Second is, although in some days you complain about the fact that call it you're doing your own photocopies and you're taking up the, the garbage, there's also a tremendous amount of personal satisfaction in being able to do things and bring something to life. As I might say, going from PowerPoint to an actual functioning product is a pretty big thrill. Specifically of why I decided to come to Rapid was three components. One was I had a unique opportunity of being the first hire here in the Americas. So quite literally was taking out the garbage, even though we didn't even really have an, an office, so figuratively speaking. So that was super exciting for me to not only join early, but be the first person on the ground. The second reason why specifically Rapid uh, that was early is I felt that the opportunity that we were pursuing, which is building a platform that would allow other companies to build upon us and overcome many of the common challenges that have otherwise existed for many, many years of fragmented, disparate financial infrastructure, uh, and ultimately the difficulty of scaling services across multiple geos or even one geo, but multiple services was a huge opportunity. So that was super exciting for me and it continues to be so. And the last element really is the team. Uh, ultimately, when you're joining a company, you're joining based upon the team, working with a CEO that has been there, done that, has successfully built and sold a company, and someone that ultimately is highly technical is very appealing for any early employee. Could you tell us about that transition and what are the skills that you found more valuable to change from Fortune 500 companies to a startup? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think that there's ultimately probably two angles to it. So one is you can learn a lot no matter what you do. Your ability to learn has a lot to do with the person and your your predisposition to learn new things. So whether or not you've learned professionally in a smaller company, a big company, I think really depends more on the person. But with that said, there are certain, certain call it elements or pieces of the financial world that are very much predicated on traditional or pre-existing infrastructure or call it players, ultimately financial institutions, corporations, and having the experience at a large financial institution such as City or a large payments company such as First Data or McKinsey, where I would say at least 70% of my clients were large-scale clients, you really understand at the macro level how the economy is organized and ultimately how smaller companies can find opportunity to interact both with bigger companies and as well to seize share from those bigger companies. So having that vantage point to a certain degree of how to collaborate, but as well how to compete. Separately, in our particular case at Rapid, uh, many of our clients are enterprise clients, understanding how they think, understanding how they buy, understanding how they evaluate opportunities, understanding the unique challenges makes me and I think ultimately makes us as a company having people that have those past experiences as well better at serving our clients in the sense that we understand how they think about things, what are the risk profiles that they have, how do they have, how are they going to be regulated. So it's having had that experience from the other side of the table makes me, I hope, uh, that's much more effective in what I'm doing day to day here. Going back to Rapid. We have mentioned that the company connects 2 million ATM and over-the-counter cash access points across the globe. So would you mind expanding on the value that you offer to your clients? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So 
sort of setting the stage of what we do for our clients and why, what is called the purpose of Rapid and why we we exist. So Rapid ultimately exists to overcome a very common scenario for companies, whether they're small or large. And this, one of those scenarios is I want to be able to transact in multiple countries, but I don't necessarily want to spend precious, finite resources in developing a relationship with multiple partners or vendors, nor necessarily doing, consequently, multiple technological integration. So one is rapid scale from a coverage perspective is, is designed to overcome that particular issue. The second is, as someone is trying to build a solution, so they're not just trying to collect money using credit card, remembering that the vast majority of the world doesn't have a credit card, or they're not just trying to disperse funds to a bank account, remembering that more than half the world doesn't have a bank account, they're confronted with two other challenges. So one is that they're ultimately not able to address their total addressable market because they're just not able to reach them. And the second is that even if they could, they have to make very specific trade-offs because of the complexities of managing, as I mentioned just a moment ago, multiple vendors and multiple technological integrations. So what Rapid is designed to do with our four product lines, Rapid Collect, which is effectively a global collect accounts receivables platform that allows companies to collect funds using cash, bank transfers, e-wallets, and cards. The Rapid Disperse platform was designed to let companies disperse funds across, as you said, millions of cash pickup locations, but as well send funds to bank accounts, send funds to e-wallets, send funds as well in lieu of sending money to let people pay their bills or buy airtime. The rapid issuing platform, which is designed to let companies issue cards across multiple countries simultaneously, and ultimately the rapid wallet platform, which is effectively a white label PayPal that allows companies to launch closed loop, open loop wallets. It's typically near impossible to bring those four capabilities or those four products together under one solution or call it under one roof, and even more complex to do that across two countries, let alone 100 countries. So ultimately, Rapid is is here to overcome those problems. So ultimately, a company that is a marketplace or a company that's a challenger bank or a company that's a bank itself, they can focus on their core competency, which is not building and connecting financial infrastructure, but instead is serving their clients in some other way. You've mentioned the work that you do for your clients, but is there any project or product that you want to highlight? Yeah, I think there's two products that we, that are really worth mentioning that I, that I personally think are quite unique. So one is the Rapid Collect platform. Rapid Collect platform is fundamentally different from other platforms that are out there or ultimately payments accounts receivables platforms. First and foremost, because the breadth of our coverage, so the ability to collect funds across so many different countries through a single contract, through single integration is quite unique. The second element that is unique is that we squarely address the fact that you're seeing a proliferation of alternative payment methods where real-time payment networks, bank transfers, cash, e-wallets are the way that people want to and are used to paying all over the world. And the fact that that becomes easily accessible for someone that wants to integrate those payment methods into their checkout. So that's quite unique in that regard for e-commerce merchants, for even businesses that are trying to collect payments from invoices, challenger banks that need a way to load funds into their wallets or into their cards. So that's the product that call it. we definitely lead a lot of conversations with. The one that we've 
actually had for quite some time is the Rapid Disperse platform, but yet it's only this year that we're formally and officially launching the product, doing a, a lot of activity around it today since ultimately from for whatever reason, wasn't necessarily as well known that Rapid also does disbursements all over the world. So that's another one is worth highlighting, particularly in light of the fact that the way that Rapid has built this network provides greater efficiency from an FX perspective, greater speed as it relates to delivery. And again, coverage being one of our primary value propositions, the ability to pay out to so many different countries through the single contract and integration. Type of clients we have are consequently clients that want to do Accounts receivables plus accounts payable, want to do it in more than one country, want to do it just in one country, but want to be able to do it in a unique, seamless type of way. So I'm not necessarily a, a have more of a love affair with any one of our products. More than anything, I love the combination of how the, two, how the four products can come together. So over all the years you've spent in Rapid, are there any milestones that you've passed that you're especially proud of? It varies year by year. So in the first year, as I said, I was the first employee on the ground in the U.S. Just being able to open up a bank account was a huge accomplishment. Anyone that's in this business understands that when you're moving money, the first perception of your bank, even if you're just coming to set up a operating account to pay your employees or to pay your rent, is perceived as being high risk. So that was a huge milestone for 2018. It was also a huge milestone in the early days of my existence where no one knew who we were. We hadn't raised a ton of money. Being able to recruit people and not only that, being able to recruit some really high quality people, those that are still with us, it's amazing that we were able to convince them to come over, leaving really interesting, high paying jobs. So that was called the two major milestones that I would highlight in 2018, the first year for me personally. 2019, as a company, we raised about $140 million. I was involved in that process. I would work closely with the CEO, with investors that are now our investors. And that's, of course, a huge accomplishment because it speaks to volumes to the fact that investors believe that we have something unique and interesting here, that we're addressing a very large market, and that they trust in the team. So that's a huge accomplishment. Along the way, it's also the smaller accomplishments that are ongoing and they change in time. So turning on the first client in the region, signing the first client in the region, scaling to that next level of volume and revenue upper, are all ongoing kind of boosters of worthwhile milestones that sometimes happen very quickly one after another and sometimes uh, come every month or every few months. Since you have a global view in the fintech space, could you tell us the different regional disruption trends that you see? So globally, I think there's a variety of different disruptions that are worthwhile mentioning. So first and foremost, you're seeing a continual proliferation of payment methods, which ironically, while it's leading to greater sovereignty for nations as it relates to their control and influence over domestic payment systems, it's leading to greater fragmentation across the market. There really is no real payment system that is global per se or network that is fully global as it relates to its ability to address all potential endpoints and all customer and business use cases. So in some regards, you're seeing a proliferation of networks of networks. That's a regional and global phenomena. I think the other one is, as it relates to that, is you're seeing more and more focus on real-time payment networks that is motivated for a variety of reasons. So whether it's related to income 
income equality as a in the sense of making it cheaper and faster for people to receive money as it relates to the ability to lower the cost of moving money and therefore in, increasing financial inclusion. You're seeing that happening throughout the world. I think that the exp- expectation, if I remember the number correctly, is that within two years, about 65 countries will have real-time payment systems functioning. I think the last is more and more companies are really fully graduated from the former, I'll call it brick strategy, where they would try to go to Brazil, try to go to Russia, try to go to India, go to China, and, then, and ultimately with South Africa, in some cases, they also including Turkey. And they would invest time and energy in doing that, and then it'd be so much so difficult for them to go to the next set of countries. With companies such as Uber, Airbnb, the likes of Facebook, the likes of Google, these are companies that have really set, kind of taught the entire world it is possible to go global and it is possible to go global fast. But all of that ability is predicated on your ability to transact with your customer base, whether it's a business or a consumer. So the other thing trend that you've seen in the past four to five years is more and more companies early, early on in their uh, life, call it evolution, are going global very quickly. And that's leading to a lot of opportunity for companies like Rapid. And now the million dollar question. How do you see the impact of both COVID-19 and the global recession that is coming on the fintech sector? Is it an opportunity or a threat? So I would probably break that question into two different questions. So what do I think uh, COVID means for the fintech sector versus what specifically, perhaps as a consequence, uh, the recession will mean to the, the sector? So COVID itself, as has been discussed uh, in a variety of different say, forums and by a variety of other, call it financial fintech representatives and leaders, is it's led to a transformation effectively overnight for all types of institution into digital platforms or the necessity to have a digital platform. Whether you were a college, a elementary school, a business, a bank, an online merchant or retail merchant, basically overnight everyone was forced or has been forced to go through a digital transformation or risk become yeah, being left behind. So that is hugely up beneficial for companies that are enabling digital payments. So for there, I see significant opportunity. Of course, there are some sectors that are significantly impacted by having the economy basically at a standstill, travel and leisure, be, uh, travel and leisure and restaurants, of course, being one. But as well, the other opportunity for as it relates to COVID is you're instilling most likely the possibility that certain people are going to learn new behaviors, shopping online, buying their groceries online, that most likely after the fact, even if it's not leading to a total abandonment of previous behavior that and shopping activity and ways of paying that were done one way before COVID and now will be done a different way after COVID, there's definitely an impact there. As it relates to the recession, I would speak more kind of at the philosophical level recessions and lead to basically greater focus of companies and a a necessity to refine your strategies and get better at executing. So ultimately, it will ultimately lead to not necessarily in a binary fashion winners and losers, but it will lead to those companies that have the focus, have the execution, and are able to continue to excel or at least sustain the recession and emerge stronger 
we would like to believe that we're going to be one of those companies. And ultimately as well, any recession at the macro level leads to microeconomic changes as it relates to how businesses operate or ultimately the businesses that you can serve. So you're going to see a proliferation, new business models and new pursuits, because in the same way that we're responding to the changes and responding very quickly, all of our clients are doing the same thing and all of our prospects are likely to be doing the same thing. So I don't necessarily see it as a good or bad. I think it's ultimately at a societal level, it's obviously extremely concerning everything that's happening, but at the perspective of a business, how you emerge from the current situation is very much predicated on how you navigate through the situation. And my last question, there are many Wharton students and other students in our audience. So looking back in your career, is there anything you would like to have known when you were in our position? Well, so I won't definitely put an age on myself, particularly since we're doing a podcast. So I'll position it as what would I have, I'll respond to it more as what do I wish I would have known as an MBA student? So a few things. One, I think I would have liked to have known that getting to where you likely want to end up will likely take you a little bit longer than you're probably expecting. General view is that it takes about 10 years to feel like you've actually professionalized or become an expert in something. And I'm coming up on that sort of anniversary. So that's number one. The second is a very critical skill that you need to have independent of what you're going to do is your ability to influence people. And that is ultimately your ability to sell. So I wish I would have known how important selling is. And I think the third is recognizing this very closely related to both of them is how quickly you move through uh, your career, how quickly you advance in your career is very much predicated on how well you relate to people and how well you're able to influence people's perception of you. Thank you very much, Eric. It has been a great pleasure sharing this podcast with you. I wish you the best. And for our audience, stay tuned for more episodes of Word and Fintech. Thank you very much for having me and good luck and stay safe.